is the Mindset Athlete Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition, and mindset coaching business. First of all, I'd like to thank Lauren Williams for suggesting this quote to the show. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think, and execute. Not because of some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. By Chris Hart. And each week on the Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message, or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got a fellow Roberts. I've got AJ Roberts. He's a former British soldier who served all over the world, including the extremely hostile war-torn countries of Iraq and Afghanistan as a commander and leader. After 15 years in the military, AJ now coaches people from all different countries and backgrounds in their personal development journey by massively improving their health, fitness, confidence, and mindset. AJ also delivers key leadership and management training to corporations and management within companies all over the UK in order to improve the organization's efficiency and productivity. His latest product is his new popular podcast called The Best Version of You, where he hosts inspirational guests who are what he describes as ordinary people doing extraordinary things. So welcome on to the show, AJ. How do you mate? Uh, absolute pleasure to finally be on the show. I know we've been uh, trying to nail this down for some time. Yeah, um, thanks for introducing the podcast, which obviously you were only on just a few weeks ago. So uh, yeah, cheers for that. And beyond the introduction I gave you, AJ, is there any nuggets that I alluded to? Um, I guess sort of like the main, uh, what you mean from that intro that you just done then? Or anything that you wanted to share with the audience? Um, Well, I mean, from the intro itself, uh, like, you know, start us off with, uh, go, you know, all the way back. I was in the military 15 years. Um, every person has their own sort of journey in the military. Just you know, it depends on what kind of branch corps you're in. Um, and then you obviously have that sort of transitioning period of leaving when you leave a very sort of compressed uh, brotherhood organisation uh, into civilian sector. So how you go about that is you know vitally important to your future, uh, even your mental health, really. Um, but I left it in a. a from a commanding and leadership position, which I was, I always strive to be in because I was, uh, I've always been a natural leader. Um, I say natural leader, I use that term lightly. Uh, I don't think anybody's born a leader. Um, you, you, you're a product of your own environment. You know, if you're it, it, the, the environment you've been brought up in. So um, I become a leader by being the oldest of four boys. So it was so kind of naturally forced upon me whilst my mum and dad went out, you know, putting food on the table and stuff. So um, that then sort of transpired into, you know, doing well in sport and captaining sports teams and all that kind of stuff. And uh, anybody who can relate to that will know that when you're in those positions, um, it's, it's great. That responsibility is great. You, you know, you thrive off it and it just it makes you go from strength to strength and, um, depending on what kind of leader you become, because there's so many different types, um, that all very much is in regard to, you know, what experiences you have, 
you know, what your day-to-day role is, um, who you work with, what your what tasks you do, um, you know, and that could be, be any sector that you're in. Um, so in terms of, um, I, I say nuggets, um, I, the, the podcast, for example, is, and the title, The Best Version of You, is it, the title come around, um, my wife actually chose it because she said it's something that I'm constantly saying all the time, um, as in, you know, being the best version of stuff. And I say it to my kids all the time, like, you know, I don't mean like get up in the morning and try and break world records, you know, that's just silly. I mean, sort of analysing your day and then saying like, you know, just a small sentence or a small, it can just be a small decision that you can do better like the next day. Um, you know, it only has to be that small. Um, but as soon as you start getting into that mindset of being a little bit better all the time, you know, the things you can achieve and opportunities that come your way are endless. But where does that mantra come from then? What, as in uh, being the best version of yourself? Yeah. Um, for me, um, it was, I guess, in the military had a lot to do with it, I think. Uh, my stepdad was in the army as well, so I, like yourself, I spent many years living abroad in, uh, as an army brat. So uh, all I ever saw was army be the best, army be the best. Um, and although I left school to play football um, at Bournemouth because they, they signed me on the, on the youth scheme, um, it, if things didn't work out, I always had, kind of had it in the back of my head that uh, I would end up joining the, in the, joining the military. So I think, that, I think that a lot of it is where that's come from. Um, and it's it's a quite it's a famous saying, isn't it? Like, and it's when you see that like the army, the word army, and the British flag. Although they've kind of gone around changing titles and slogans in that you know the last couple of years, it's the one that everybody kind of knows, isn't it? So it's just I guess it's it's just very good branding, very good marketing. It sticks in people's heads. So when people think that, they think the best. And I guess the conflicts that we've been in over the years, you know our troops have been the ones that everybody's talked about, but how professional, how um, good we are at what we do, no matter, no matter who that, that is, whether it's our RAF, you know, our Navy, our Army, our Special Forces, you know, especially. Um, so I think that's a lot of it's where it's come from. Also, I think when you've got sort of uh, friendly competition, I think that helps, I think that helps you uh, evolve into becoming like the best version of yourself because you're, You've got like a friendly competition around everywhere. For me, it was like my brother down from me, he was very competitive against me. So I was always, I, I kind of always made sure I was that, that little extra bit better, but in a good way to be the role model, if you know what I mean. Um, to, in, in essence, get, guide him to be better. Um, and especially when we, we play, when we talk about football, um, I was obviously good, very good at football and he wanted to be better. So he wanted to be, he's, he's always two, two and a half years younger than me. Um, and there's always going to be two and a half years younger than me. But when he was like hitting 14, for example, he wanted to be better at 14 than what I was. Um, so I guess by giving him that sort of, that focus as well, it kind of brought, it was good because it kind of rolled downhill into my family, like my brothers, and it still does now, which is really great. Um, my brother's now, uh, UK Special Forces, so um, so it just goes to show that you know that it works. But obviously, uh, AJ, you alluded to you know that the 
misfortune of not making it at Bournemouth. What do you think specifically didn't go uh, candidly in terms of and go your way in terms of not making it as a footballer? Um, it was purely injury, um, and well, I guess if it's if it was to happen now, I think I would have been all right, given the fact that they're a lot a uh, lot more well funded. They're obviously a Premiership team now, um, and they've got you know like top world class staff there all the way through. Not saying like physios and that weren't any good when I was there, but um, I, I injured myself um, playing just as it was a kick around actually on a Sunday night. My cousins were like, I'd oh, come, come and have a kick around and play for our little six society team and against, with their work colleagues. So I was like, yeah, okay, fair enough. Shouldn't really have done it. Um, but, you know, when you love playing, you just love playing. And I wasn't doing anything. Um, so I went along and then me and this guy like clashed knees. Uh, so I like, uh, my my kneecap was like that and his was like this and then we kind of knocked across each other and I felt this weird pain it was like it's, I can't really describe it but it's like the perineal nerve it goes across the knee uh, just below the knee it kind of like severed uh, and then I couldn't feel anything in the bottom of my foot but it sent a really bad pain like through my whole knee joint and then uh, up my leg so it's kind of when I think about it at the time it's, kind of, it's hard to pinpoint like what I thought I'd done if you know what I mean Mm -hmm. because it was just someone I'd never experienced and then it was just like pain in different directions uh an ambulance came and then I got put straight on gas in there and it wasn't until I got taken to the hospital they did some scans and all this kind of stuff and after doing quite a bit of investigation because it was quite a bit of a a freak weird injury um it wasn't like a break or a fraction you know something you really normally associate with football or, or you know sports like that um so in, like, I was going back to training and they were quite annoyed with me that I'd injured myself not playing football with them. Um, you know, that kind of blew over. So I was concentrating on physio and uh, and trying to get back to full speed. But then it was even after two months, I still couldn't feel my big toe properly in my foot. Um, and they, from a, because I was at that point in the youth, the youth training scheme where they can just, you know, happens all over the, the, the country and other clubs. So they, just, they can just, they just let people go, don't they? Um, it's literally like that, and that, that's kind of got to that crunch point. I was I was pushing for them to give me more time, but obviously with them being lower down in the leagues at the time, and they weren't as well funded, and there was other kids knocking on the door that were really good as well. Um, and they just said, "Sorry, sorry, Mr. Roberts, uh, your time with us is done. Wish you all the best." And uh, it was devastating because I, I only ever saw myself being a professional football player. That's all I ever did, like wanted to do. Uh, I did, did well at school. I uh, got really good grades and stuff like that. And um, I was always, very, you know, I was always very academic, but I didn't see myself doing anything else. So, you know, I, I'm sure that can relate to many of the listeners who have only ever thought about doing one kind of profession um, when suddenly things have you lose everything if you know what I mean. So some people, you know, can literally go off the rails with it, and they turn to you know drink, drugs, and everything else like that because it's such a uh, such a big, big pill to swallow. Um, and you know, at the time, you know, I've had all my family around me, and everything were very supportive, and that which is great. Um, but you know, some people don't. So you know, I count myself lucky in that respect. And it took myself took myself a little while to come to terms with all and pick myself up and move on and you know go on to pastures new and do you think obviously having your background 
uh, growing up within the military community and military environment and you being indoctrinated to some extent and, and subliminally uh, messaged in terms of army be the best. Do you think that kind of helped you both mentally, but then physically re- re- with rehab to then obviously pers- pursue something else? Yeah. I mean, I kind of rehab, uh, I kind of went through the rehab stage and, you know, worked on getting myself fit for me really. And it, well, I didn't sort of, um, when I got let go by my wife, didn't immediately go and join the army. Um, I had a bit of a gap in between where I was trying to kind of like find myself, I guess, and work out, well, if I can't play football, what else can I do? Um, and I was living with my grandparents because my mum and stepdad were still living in Germany, like as in the military. Um, so I was kind of, uh, it wasn't like I could just get loads of advice off them. You know, they were in their 70s and stuff like that. And, you know, the pace of the world just accelerated, doesn't it, through like the, obviously, the, the, the internet age, .com age, and everything else gone with it. So they were kind of like, couldn't really say, yeah, go do this, go do that. Their, 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 their advice was quite kind of old school. Um, you know, they're very much in that era where, you know, you need to go to jo- uh, work to get a job, to put food on the table, to pay your mortgage. And when your mortgage is paid off, well, you, you know, you've won at life. But it's, uh, you know, we know that's not, you know, the case. But so I had to kind of like spend some time um, trying to find out what I wanted to do. So I was, I was kind of going from like dead-end job to dead-end job, really. Um, I started hanging around with the wrong crowds as well. Um, I then I moved into a shared house because I was earning just some money. Um, and I wanted just that bit of freedom, you know, not having to be in at 11 o'clock so my nan and granny could turn the alarm on, <laughs> you know, they could go to bed. So uh, I moved into a shared house, but then, you know, I, I, as some young people do, you get me mixing with the wrong crowds and, you know, a few house parties later, you, you know, you're drinking too much and you, you're getting involved with the wrong people and stuff like that. And that's when I kind of decided, like, I need to do something with my life. Um, and that's where um, I actually um, it was peeing it down with rain when I jumped into the careers office to kind of get out of it because it was absolutely smashing it down um, and while I stood there waiting for ages I kind of like looked in and I was like I'm going, in, I'm going and have a nosy you know what's there to lose and then uh, I walked out signed up to the army <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah there's I mean, I mean the, the weather did me the biggest favour I could have asked for, really. What was the reaction of your family, though, by you making that decision? Um, I didn't actually tell them until I'd done the selection. So I'd done all the paperwork and I applied, obviously, to the army, and they say, like, yeah, you, uh, you do this little uh, uh, arithmetic test and all this kind of stuff online, which kind of tells you, like, what you can apply for. Um you know, test like a bit of everything, sort of language, algebra, like what was kind of called a barb test. Um, and based off what your GCC results are and all that kind of stuff, they put that together and then they come up with this big list of what, you know, you can apply for in the army. Um, so once I'd done that, uh, I originally applied to join the parachute regiment because I was like, you know, elite soldiers uh, and I'd always heard a lot about them and I thought like, you know, I've, I've never jumped out of a plane, it'd be awesome. Um, and I've seen a lot on TV and stuff like that. I was like, yeah, this is awesome. So I uh, I went for the powers originally, but then I went on selection, past selection was fine. And that's when I got a letter to say where my basic training start date was. So that's when I told my family. 
I, I'd be off. Like, um, so I didn't want to go on joining the army and then something come up and it didn't work out. Um, but when I said to my, my stepdad I was joining a parachute regiment, he basically told me he was going to fill me in. <laughs> um, he basically said, like, in his big, angry Scottish voice, uh, don't be stupid. You've got far too good GCC results and you're far too academic to join the cannon fodder, as he referred to them as. Um, you know, even though we all know, like, you know, they're elite troops and that. But he said, you've got to think about the long game. And if you go and join the Royal Engineers, you can get yourself a trade. You can then go airborne engineers if you really want to. You've still got like some good qualifications out of it. So if things don't work out in the military or you decide to leave, you know, you can fall back on a, a, you know, a good recognisable trade on City Street, you know, at least to give you a good foundation for getting out. So, um, so, I, so I took his advice and, and joined the Royal Engineers instead. But, what, but why, why does uh, obviously that biasness come into be to the parachute regiment be i could i could understand the infantry because that's what infantry has always been it's you send them in first mm. uh, yeah take well a, take a big I, loss and then go and then the rest come in yeah i guess the um i guess the, the powers in people's eyes or like people are already serving like my step that was that, that it's just seen as airborne infantry um obviously but they just jump into the, you know 10 miles from target and then they you know advance the battle um from about 10 miles away um but it, it, it you don't walk away uh, you know you get that robustness you, you're surrounded by like other fit lads and you're surrounded by other guys who want to like you know really better themselves all the time so it, that type of mentality is good to be around um but i guess from his experience with them in the military you know they were the, they were renowned for always scrapping with each other like smashing the town up old you know an old shot and you know people being you know, being a lot of trouble and stuff like that so I thought he obviously didn't want me to go down that route you know it was my choice at the end of the day but he, at the end, he was just advising me uh, in a good way really because um, it, it did work out for me like say by going in the Royal Engineers because I did get a lot of good qualifications out of it a lot of uh, sport and travel and everything else like that so um, that's a good thing about something like the engineers is you, you can get different postings like all over the world. Whereas the parachute regiment usually are just based in other cultures or old shot or wherever they seem, seem to be like as, as a, not, you know, just as a regiment together all the time, very similar to the infantry units do. They tend to recruit from like certain areas. Um, and then they tend to stay in one place for a long time. So, um, and yeah, in terms of traveling and everything else I brought, it was, it was very good. And having lived in Germany so much as a kid, Obviously, when I got in, you know, started in the Royal Engineers, when I come to asking where I want to be posted, I was just like, I want to be posted by Germany because the best years of my life there. But uh, but obviously, as it has got, did, did you ever have any regrets to to not having you? Well, I won't call it your first choice, but be because originally that'd been your decision to go into the parachute regiment, but listening to and heeding other people's advice uh, and taking board that information you had um, a different course no no not at all because um i ended up like working alongside paras uh on certain ops in like afghan and, and iraq and all that kind of stuff um you know very very hard blokes you know what i mean but at the same time i guess being in the engineers you're 
when you do do ops with these kind of uh, units, you do the same job as them for that period of time, but you also always add in that extra bit of value, that extra bit of academic um, value to them for something like, it could be like an obstacle crossing, so you need to get that across there, or how are we going to do it? Ask the engineer. Um, so that, you know, obviously we'll come up with a plan. Uh, and that's what we're now for. Obstacle crossing and blowing shit up. So, um, <laughs> no, it is building bridges and blowing shit up. That's what like we were always we're always renowned for. Like, so yeah, you, you can't you can never go anywhere without engineers there because you can never cross anything or you know blow something up to move it out of the way. But does that does that go back to the early days of be it like World War Two then of of kind of moving with the with the front in terms of yeah. you're an er, 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 I can't speak. Enemy territory, and obviously the Nazis retreating and blowing stuff up as they go as they retreat. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. It's been happening for years, you know. So they in World War Two, World War One, they um, they would put uh, bridge demolitions on certain tactical bridges. So if they did have to fall back, they could fall back back over the bridges, and then they blow them to stop. Obviously, us getting to that crossing, and it would then slow us right down because we then have to. Um, come up with a plan or come up with a, a build a bridge basically to get across there to get all the battle groups across so um, it's been a tactic for years and years and years um, but in terms of the engineers being like up front it's like the term sappers um, it comes from like hundreds of years ago um, it, basically the word means like sapping is to sort of like dig forward like it's like mining Um so even even back to medieval times when they used to they came up with this tactic that engineers did to dig tunnel and it's it's uh, I can't remember the name of the film it's about the fall of Rochester Castle and uh, they get they go bring in the sapper and uh, it's just little tiny fat dude <laughs> 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 which when I first saw it, it really made me laugh because I was like I know people like that. <laughs> And um, they come in and they basically sat this little tunnel, basically. So they dig a tunnel underneath the, the castle. And then they, I don't know how they tested this, like when they made this up, but they, they get loads of live pigs, like uh, pushing, like herd them down the tunnel. So they're like all stuffed in a big gaggle underneath the, the castle. And then they set fire to the pigs. So they set them all on fire. It's, it's a gruesome thing, but like they, um, it's, the pig's flesh and stuff like that is apparently very flammable. And um, this is why I always wonder, like, how did this, like, get tested? Well, they, they did trials on pigs back in the day. But um, that ignite uh, underneath, like, very burnt very quickly from underneath. And that's actually what crumbled Rochester Castle because they couldn't penetrate it for days and days and days. And that's what um, took it down. So, um, yeah, the term sappers and sapping comes all the way, goes all the way back to, Back in those days, we'll get history, history lesson as well. There, there you go, mate. Uh, I'm here all week. <laughs> so, in terms of obviously, as your 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 military career has obviously allowed you to travel all around the world. Yeah, what's been the the best place uh, that you've been to that's made you quote unquote the best version of yourself, or has kind of progressed you to be the best version of yourself uh in terms i say in terms of uh, soldiering um which really 
it, well, it does not just me, but like it turns any soldier, you know, from a boy into a man very quickly because you have to grow up very quickly like out there. You know, it's a real deal. Um, it's very kinetic and it's, it makes a difference where you come home alive. If you just go out there with a shit attitude and, you know, you're not, you haven't got your wits about you, you don't stay switched on, you're not focused on the job. Every time you walk out, um, bad things happen. So as a commander, obviously, you, you're in charge of like not only your own life, but, you know, you're responsible for the lives of all, you know, sort of 10 to 12 guys, um, depending on what you're doing. Um, and also, like, I did a lot of attachments uh, with me and I take my best two guys with me when we got attached to, like, special forces units and stuff like that. So we were doing, like, explosive entry into buildings and then we'd go in and uh, the, the special forces lads would go in and, like, do what we needed to do. Um, so all that kind of stuff was like, yeah, this is amazing. I'm like, I'm doing what I joined to do. Um, you're getting everything out of it that you wanted to do as a soldier. So like, when I'd say when you say like the best place, I'd say that Afghanistan tours was the best place in terms of bringing the best out of me, um, and you know, really honing in on like raw leadership skills and stuff like that. Because that's when that's when I found, really found my leadership style as well, um, and. Uh, but in terms of the best place I've been, which is just every single t- every single part of the day was amazing. Was uh, I went on a course to Brunei, and um, it, it was like a jungle course. But the reason why it was all jungle is because we got taught how to do ground sign awareness, so how to see stuff in the ground. And the jungle is like the hardest terrain in the world to do that. Um, so you start off from like soft sand where you can clearly see there's like footprints in there and the makeup of footprints, you learn all about that and like what the average distance is between heel to heel, you know, all this is really good. Um, and then you learn, you go from there to like grass and everything else like that. So the idea is just that when you're in theatre, like Afghan and stuff like that, you can see disturbed ground and potentially, you know, potentially save lives because you could, there could be an IED in there or something like that, a, a device. Um, but during the course, we got to do some events training and um, you could go off and basically you can go on the piss in Miri in Malaysia, um, which I chose to do, but I didn't go like on, on the beer the whole time. I actually phoned up the local company and went out uh, diving and uh, I ended up going uh, diving out in the Indian, uh, South China Sea, Indian Ocean, uh, which is absolutely amazing. It's beautiful. And I, I swam with whale sharks and I think it was, it was so majestic and I was like, man, I'm getting paid for this. This is amazing. Um, and it's like so many other things in the military, like the events training that I've done over the years has been phenomenal. Um, I've sailed up the East coast of Denmark, all the way across to Helsingborg in Sweden and then finished in uh, Copenhagen on Copenhagen Island. And each day we stopped off, there was a festival <laughs> and it was just like, you know, you just couldn't make it up. It was amazing. And, you know, I've been skiing in the Rockies, uh, rock climbing in the Rockies, um, skiing skiing in Bavaria, like skiing from Germany into Austria and then getting to the bottom and you just ski straight into a bar. And it's, you know, it's all that kind of stuff you do in the military that I, some people sometimes forget about. Um, but I'd say, yeah, those, those two in different ways, definitely the best places I've been. But obviously you brought a poignant one in terms of being in the, I'll call it a theatre because you know what I'm talking about, in terms yeah. of that. 
how do you personally, or how did you personally have that disattachment from being in a conflict zone to having your family back home? How did, how did you kind of be a, a different per two different people? Well, as in like one minute I'm a sort of commander on the ground, and then when I find my family at yeah. night, yeah, it's um, it it can be quite difficult because obviously you don't want your, your missus worrying at home. Um, whenever there was a death or serious, serious injury out there, there was um, a complete communications blackout. So nobody could ever phone home and stuff like that. So, you know, one day I could be like, yeah, I'll definitely phone you tonight, babe. But then an hour later, uh, there'd be a blackout because someone's been killed. So it, the reason why they do that is so that nobody can just, mess, you know, say, message someone on Facebook or some, tell someone at home what's happened, who's died, and their family find out from somebody else uh, or see it on social media or something. So it's very important that it's done that way. Um, so if they don't hear from you, obviously, and you've got no way of communicating with them, it can be a little distressing for them. But they, as the tours go on, they kind of understand. Um, but at the same time, they, you know, they're like, oh, he's not writing what's gone on because they know that you're in a very hostile place. Um, and then there was times when I had, I was in the middle of like, you know, serious, horrible incidents out there, um, which would live with me for the rest of my life. But I then wanted to talk to my missus about because she's like my best friend. And, you know, just, I, would, it, I knew it would make me feel better. But at the same time, I like, didn't want to, couldn't go into too much detail because it would like, she wouldn't sleep at night knowing about what I'd just been through. Do you know what I mean? So it was, a, you know, that was probably the most difficult thing. So obviously, I think this is very poignant to, to, to us to talk about. How does that make you feel from being somebody that served in the armed forces? And, uh, and you probably get to get the gist of what I'm going to come at you. When you know that post you put out with the chap, uh, social media influencer says it's going to distraught uh, the youth of today's ment- uh, mental health. How does that make you feel? Oh, uh, you mean the post I put about that, that, that young lad who was on Good Morning Britain, he said that they don't think we should learn about World War II anymore because it affects young people's mental health. Um, I mean, when I, when I initially made that post, I had no intention for it to go viral or anything. And it's, it's, been, it's been mental. Like my inbox is just, uh, I've had to like turn all notifications off and everything because it's just, uh, and then I've had to search through notifications to see ones that, you know, from people that were actually about stuff that I needed to talk about. Um, so it's been mental. I've had my fair share of hate messages, which has been quite funny. Um, like I, I, I can only laugh at stuff like that. It really makes me laugh. Um, I don't, I, I just can't let the stuff that affect me. So, uh, I just see it as text, you know, and it's, it's for anybody listening, who gets really upset about negative comments. Like that's probably the best way to explain it. You just look at it and go, what's well, text? It's not punching me in the face. So like, how can, how bad can it be? Um, uh, and that's where I kind of like sort of trained my mind to do that. Um, and it's not easy for everyone I know. But when I put that post and I've seen, initially seen that, I think my reaction come from somebody whose grandfather who's still alive was in World War Two. You know, uh, I've posted so much about him before. He was the second man on Juno Beach. Um, captured the tallest man in the German forces in, in France. You know, he's, he's quite, a, quite a famous guy. Um, and when you hear people like that, and thinking, uh, what what annoyed me a little bit was how people didn't read the, the post properly. And then they 
I was getting messages saying like, oh, how can I tarnish young people with the same brush and all this kind of stuff when clearly I wasn't. I was talking about him as an individual because um, I, I know loads of 22-year-olds who are fantastic soldiers, who are fantastic sportsmen who are going on to be doctors and, you know, who are teachers and stuff like that. So clearly not talking about his age group. Um, I was talking about him as an individual and what my beef was was the fact that people like that guy are all over social media calling themselves influencers. Now, influence is a big word. Um, and how you influence someone, or if you're going to call yourself an influencer, um, you're going to get judged on what you, what information and content you're putting out there because that's how you're going to influence people. Um, so it's people like him who are the, are the ones that are causing the problem. When you're going on TV, clearly have a self-esteem issue because you're a 22-year-old male and you've had your lips filled and you've got Botox at such a young age when you clearly don't need it. Um, not that people need it anyway, but you know, that's another conversation. But um, it's you're then going on live TV and saying something like that. So, and that is people like that, caught, you know, that, uh, promoting having things done to your face at 22 years old that is half the reason why we've got so many mental health problems in our society at the moment because of things like that on social media well i had a go at him as well and, and be i i did give my two cents in terms of commenting on your post and that might my, mine, mine, mine mine adds more engagement than i thought it would ever do and i i think i initially put obviously grow a pair of balls but and then i put it into context after it's like well that's not actually being productive it's like well let me give it some context in terms of why i think he should should do that and be it because we've talked about this before you and i with my mental health issues i took offense to that uh my family uh grandparents fought in world war ii as well so i'm thinking well they didn't sign up to okay they did sign up to to go to 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 go to war yeah. but they didn't sign up for the country to go to war it was mm. they were doing something that they believed in and obviously freedom that country shouldn't be invaded uh for no good reason and things like that so i'm thinking it's a smack in the face of not just my family your family uh people listening thinking okay he's maybe not had anybody uh or you would hope not because mm. that's kind of spitting on somebody's grave uh, to, to a certain extent um, based on it's going to affect somebody's mental health. Yeah. Be it, uh, be it your grandfather, uh, my uncle still alive who, who, who uh, landed on one of the Normandy beach. They won't talk about it because of obviously uh, that's the way they were brought up. You're, you're yeah. seen and not heard. Uh to a certain extent, you're the same with going in a conflict with Afghanistan. You don't want to kind of get people to imagine the atrocities, the horrors that you've seen firsthand. That's mental health. And yeah. I kind of wanted to give my two uh, cents in terms of because I did it as a, an episode on, on my show, uh, The Day of Remembrance Day. And kind of like, well, it's it's kind of you're trying to, I know some people within, within the comments that are trying to get famous. It's like, cause you're being controversial, but you're thinking, like you said, with the influencer perspective, you're not giving everybody the, the entirety of the facts. 
that's yeah. your opinion. You're entitled to your opinion, yeah. but that influence some people are going to side with. It's like, oh, I don't like history, so if I can jump on that bandwagon as well, it's going yeah. to give me justification to do it. But I think where I came from and kind of wrap it up into into, into to the conclusion is we had those wars for a reason. It was to be more specifically the Great War, the First World War was to be the end of all wars. Okay, that didn't happen. But I think as a society and a human race, we've not learned from past things. And if we do, to go to the extent that he's talking about, mm. what was, what, what, why did they sacrifice their lives? Yeah, no, no, I totally agree. And again, you know, the reason, that I'll go back to the, the two contrasts between him and the guy, the 22-year-old lieutenant, Reynolds that I posted about who were the same age you know they didn't they didn't uh, like UK didn't or Britain didn't start a fight with anybody we went to we went to defend democracy and that's what we've always done and it's because of that that he's got the chance to sit on Good Morning Britain and you know give his opinion which is like absolutely fine and he has the luxury to do so but it wasn't just what he said it was the the fact that um, he sits there calling on TV, calling himself an influencer, and the things he's trying to influence on people who, who are mainly kids at the age of mine are um, is half the reason. That's that's the problem of mental health, right there. Mm-hmm. Not learning about what happened in World War Two. Um, it's going on Instagram, posting loads of stuff about having Botox and this and that and fake this and fake that rather than being the real you. Uh, it's everything completely opposite of being the real you. And that's the problem that I and many hundreds of people have on the internet with these people that are, at the minute. And it's not just that, it's not just that age group. It's people who, uh, who have been celebrities a long time but are you know, obviously strapped for a bit of cash so they're just promoting anything um, because the power of social media, you can get your message out to you know, hundreds of thousands of followers. Um, you know, and again, like we could sit here all day talking about what problems there are with social media. Um, the good things about social media is what good people are using it for. Um, and that's what I love and that's what I try and do um, to the best I can using that. And the same for yourselves, using our influence to influence people, to be inspired, to um, try and be that better version of themselves all the time, you know, no matter what your hardships are. And the more you do that and the more you surround yourself with like-minded people like that who only want to see you win, who want to lift you up, you know, that's the kind of influence I'm trying to have on people to realise that and to start making those small little adjustments. Um, I mean, I, I, I mean, at that post, I gained a lot of new friends. <laughs> um, I think I've probably had about... Two, and probably a lot, of enemy, and a lot of enemies, like you said. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, that doesn't bother me. It's part and parcel of it, isn't it? But um, it's, uh, you know, no one's going to, you know, you're never going to get 100% of people agree with what you're saying ever. So you just, if you, the sooner you accept that, the better. Um, but likewise, with the influence thing, if the more and more you sort of become uh, more out there on social media and more and more people see you and stuff like that, you know, the more people, followers you get, the more haters you get. It's just part and parcel of it. Um, you know, like I, I'm, doing a big drive at the minute to raise uh, donations to help cover all the costs for taking loads of medication and 
mobility aids, you know, and there's some also very close to you as well for um, for for amputees out in Sierra Leone, and these are people that didn't ask to be born there. You know, uh, I get I get people going like, "What are you doing that for?" Charity starts at home and all this stuff. You know, I'm like. Well, you got all four limbs. You seem to be right. You've got social media clearly because you're commenting on this thing. I'm going to help people who have absolutely nothing but have been butchered by terrorism and greed. That's what the difference is, my friend. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I like that's what I'm I'm doing at the moment. And even though I'm doing what I think is a very very good thing and bringing hope to a lot of people, I still get people saying like, "Oh, you're only doing it for your own." Uh, your own profile and stuff like that is uh it's quite it's quite amusing i've even had uh somebody set up a fake account on twitter and pretend that they're somebody i know trying to call me out and say loads of bad things about me and like stuff you know stuff that's just loads of rubbish and i don't know who that person is behind that account um but that's the past part and parcel of like i guess it i, I can't see it ever stopping um Jordan, you know uh, Jordan Wiley he was on my podcast not so not so long ago um he's a channel force hunter and he's just done he's just got a book that's come out called running dangerously he's run through the most three most um hostile countries in the world and he's raised a million pound for frontline children which is his charity for it's all for children in war-torn countries um he's had he's had to go to the police because he's had such bad trolling on on him from random people it's um, it's a sad world we live in in that respect. It is um, whether or not it'll eventually be weeded out. I doubt it. Um, so that's why I kind of like just again going back to what I said before. I'm like it's just text. Like how bad is it really? Well, the the argument for that AJ is you, you know in terms of uh, the bullying uh, campaigns of social media so but generally social media perspective yes. obviously we we're coming from the generation of sticks and stones may hurt you but names will never hurt you and I'm thinking well from a perspective that you can never switch it off it's mm-hmm. always going to be there but i think obviously you you and i are coming from a, a place or a bubble of positive positivity so we can kind of weed through that it's like well you're the one with the infer- inferiority complex not me I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I can accept myself for who I am. Obviously, when you're a teenager, you're trying to find yourself. So nobody is any different from that in terms of trying to find their identity and where they fit yeah. within society. And that's just somebody preying on it. It's because they are not comfortable with their insecurities. Oh, okay, yeah. that, doesn't, that doesn't give any. That doesn't give food for thought for somebody suffering with being bullying, but that would probably be their argument. It's like, well, the physical abuse would probably be slightly easy because that would stop to some mm-hmm. extent, obviously at the, at the school gates, uh, maybe they might chase you home, etc., and you get a kicking. Whereas with the, having access to the internet 24 seven, they can bully mm-hmm. you as whatever much yeah. as they want and you can't really well you can turn it off you could always turn your your internet access off and, and not look at it or or get rid of the phone yeah. but that's a different yeah thing. and it's um I, each case is different for every single kid you know like I've, um my own son had like you know messages in the past where kids have soon changed their tune it's just like just seems to have been the way they feel about themselves and 
not so much the bullying side of it, nine times out of 10, and you know, I guarantee every single person listening will relate to this, that they've put a nice post on Facebook or Instagram at some point and someone's just commented something negative. Um, and you, you know, you first you ask yourself, well, why have you even wrote that? Um, but the way I see it now, when I see stuff like that, I'm like, I feel sorry for them because they're obviously hating themselves so much that they're not doing what you're doing. And, you know, they, they are, it's a jealousy thing it is. And they, they really want to do what you're doing and what you have um, and what experiences you're doing and the friends you have, you know, all that kind of stuff, but they're not willing to put in the work. That's, that's all it is. Um, not, you know, the majority of the time. And I think if people listening can, if they relate to that, you know, I guarantee you guys that is what it is. Um, and you don't need to rise to it. You know, I, I even have good friends that comment sarky, needless comments on good stuff because it makes them feel good for about 10 seconds. Um, and that's all I see it as. So I don't, I don't rise to it or nothing. It's just, um, but going back to what you said, Paul, it's not bullying. I, you know, I totally understand that. And then the social bullying is a, a, is a horrendous problem. Um, it's not just here, it's in Australia where I lived before and it's bad there. Um, it's um, obviously no doubt the same in America, Canada, any first world country really that has the same kind of similar societies that we have, similar cultures, stuff like that. It's, um, it, it is everywhere. Um, it, 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 as long as we have mobile phones, social media, uh, 24-7 internet access, it won't go away. Well, I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't know what, how you, you stem the curve of that. Obviously, education, but, um, and I think probably to a certain extent, like you say, your mantra, best version of yourself. It's not a competitive saying, entire, well, entirely, because obviously you're trying to level up yourself mm. and trying to be put a a positive spin in terms of these are the, the characteristics, values, morals, uh, however you want to term it, the minimum standard that I'm going to expect of myself. And if I fall short of that, that's not acceptable. And I've, I think if we can do that as a society, you probably would curtail some of that. You're not going to get rid of it completely because oh, if we just bring up the football the other night, Somebody getting booed just because they were on the other side of the argument, and he's the one that that got a t- technically got attacked, and he's getting abuse. Yeah. So, so, they were, so that one from the football perspective, you're thinking it is a tribal mentality. People are going to be stupid. Um, obviously, um, they know who they are. Mm. Yeah. And in terms of being probably not reprimanded, but being called out on it on, on television. I think probably the next day, the more logical ones are going to think, well, maybe I shouldn't have, shouldn't have done that the other night. And whereas some will probably not think of about an eyelid. It's like, well, that's me. I'm not going to change. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, it's people are you the way they are. And again, that all goes back to the people, people are generally the people they are because of the inner circle and the environment that they've been brought up in. Um, it, I, I see it every day. I see it with my own coaching clients. It's like a lot of the time my own coaching clients want to get out of that 
bubble that they're in and it'd be the same for you. Uh, I'm sure people, you know, they're lacking, you know, massively low on self-esteem. Um, the people they're surrounded with straight away, you know, are negative people that don't see why they want to do stuff. You know, what do you want to do that for? Why do you want to do this? Again, because they're not doing it. It's, um, it, it, and everybody has circles like that. Um, and that's why we do what we do in terms of flushing out the negativity straight away, making our inner circle strong, um, only surrounding ourselves with people who will lift us up, who are cleverer than us, because you can, you know, that you can always learn from. Uh, and that's what, that, that's what we, I, me, you, you know, we try and educate these people on this kind of stuff and why it's important to do that and to make those changes. Um, but can't coach everyone. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, it, you know, unfortunately we can't, uh, but going back to that's why I have, you know, a Facebook group or I have my podcast, um, why I'm pretty much on every single platform because the kind of content I'm trying to get out there is very much along those lines. Um, and the more people that can see that and absorb that and sit and actually think about it and even hopefully implement it, you know, the better, um, you know, I will say, you know, if what my, one of my posts can help one person and I'm, I'm winning, and from a coaching point of view, and you'll agree that that feeling of seeing somebody, uh, in, you know, increase the sort of like their productivity of their own life and increase the increase the, the you know, their, their mindset, happiness, um, achieving goals, and all that kind of stuff. It's been a direct, you know, response of your input. You know, so it's massively rewarding, isn't it? It's um, just like when you you know, you help, you when you help people and you see the, you know, positive outcome, it's, you get that hit, that dopamine hit, it's like a really great feeling, isn't it? Um, and that's what I love about coaching, you see, and that's why I say, well, it's not, for me, it's not really a job because it's kind of selfish because I'm constantly winning because I'm always seeing the positive effects it's having on people and that feeling that it gives you in return is just like a huge buzz, so like you're always winning all the time, you're not really you're not really losing as a coach. You know, if you know, if you if you're on it, it's um, it's a great, great feeling. And for me, that's a great way of looking at it. Well, I, I'd agree with that, AJ. In terms of obviously, it's uplifting to that that person has got that utmost trust within within you to, I'm not gonna say change their life, but guide them to. And I'm gonna steal your your mantra now: be the best version of themselves, depending on however long it takes it's not going to happen overnight um if you think that to be the case you're probably to a certain extent disillusioned uh being brainwashed and you've put your 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 trust probably in the wrong places to Mm. be thinking that you can have uh, a resolution happen overnight okay marketing is probably to blame with that because it's like you have this problem we have your solution it's Mm. like well do you really need that product yeah yeah to, to be able to get the resolution, uh, you actually look deep inside yourself and actually questioned your things, um, be it your beliefs, your values, your morals. And are, are you living to be the best version of yourself and the best person you can be day in, day out? Obviously, the only, the only person that can be a, a judge of that is yourself. And it's going to be a yes or no answer in terms of to to those to those relatable questions it's you either you either are or you either aren't okay there are um ways in which you could probably reflect a little bit more in terms of 
how can I improve a little bit better? I'm doing something well. How can I do it better? Uh, I'm not doing something particularly well. Not seeing the the negative side of it. Where can it be improved upon? That would maybe be like an outlier in terms of that the middle point. But generally speaking, it's either a yes or a no. It's a definitive. You're either on one end of the needle or the other. Yeah, no, hundred percent, and um, that's why uh, I I kind of went from just doing kind of online health and fitness sort of coaching um, because I've been coaching like so many different disciplines like strength and conditioning, like CrossFit, all that kind of stuff. Um, I had going back a little bit. I had like my own sort of strength and conditioning and CrossFit gym in Australia. I lived out there for a little while. Um, and a boot camp and everything else like that. So I kind of stepped away from doing that. I'd not said it completely, but stepped away from doing just doing that raw sort of online PT type stuff. Um, so I, I'm more, I, I sort of kind of class myself a lot more as a, uh, like a life, a lifestyle and health coach, because I believe I'm a very strong believer in the health, uh, sorry, the fitness and the nutrition are actually just a small part really of living the best life. So, you know, your mindset is everything. You know, I, I, for me, it's 30% exercise, probably 70% nutrition, 100% mindset. And, you know, without that mindset and strengthening that mindset, the other stuff doesn't really work. Um, prime example, 1st of January, most of the nation goes on, you know, new year, new me. By week two, week three, they've wrapped because their mindset isn't there. They're, they're either doing it because it's like just that, you know, pinnacle point of the year when everyone's supposed to suddenly get fit. Um, they're kind of like, yeah, we've got Christmas out of the way. I'm going to get rid of these cobwebs. But they because they don't see changes within the two, three weeks because they're either not applying themselves well enough. You know, they're getting off the couch. They're doing the basics. But it's such a short space of time. You're not going to see any huge differences. Like, you know, you're not going to lose 10 kilos in that time, healthily anyway. Um, so that's why so many people quit. But not only that, they don't concentrate on the one thing at a time. So rather, you know, they look, well, I need to lose weight, but I also need to quit smoking. I also need to be able to run 10Ks. And, you know, they, everyone, they try to do everything at once. The, the best um, analogy I can give for that is if you stand there in a really busy train station, it doesn't, uh, you know, whether it's London, Manchester, Liverpool, anywhere like that, you stand there and you just watch everybody come past you. Everyone's come past you at 100 miles an hour looking really stressed, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And it's because they're, they're so engulfed of trying to do so many things at once, like in their head. You know, they've come from work, but they're, they're getting home and they're like, they need to this, they need to that. And it's, they're not actually just focusing on the one thing. Um, and, you know, that's another topic, but that's why it's, like, scheduling is really important. Um, and something that I get like a lot of my coaching clients doing like taking a step back from just going like pew, 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 like shooting from the hip and like trying to just do all these different things at once and just concentrating on that one thing um, and it's had a massive positive effect on people that uh, are self-employed and like you know got their own little businesses to people that are employees but like in big corporate jobs um, it's, you know it works different for everyone but the, the basis is like just take a step back just concentrate on that one thing and um, and, and start, start seeing the results from there. And the good thing about that is, is that they're all measurable, the, the results. And, you know, you can actually analyze everything 
a lot better. And then because of that, because you can analyze everything a lot better, you can physically lie there at bed at night every day, have a think about what you've done and what you can do better the next day. It's a lot easier to sort it's a lot easier to do that. But obviously, AJ, you're um, how would I term this? I can't think of the word, but be it your kind of go-to with scheduling. Do you think that find out um, come back to your military days of obviously time management is very is very poignant. Yeah. yeah, we talked about this actually um, in depth on my podcast episode I did last night with uh, Dean Stott, um, who's a UK Special Forces uh, veteran. Who's, he, um, he cycled the Pan-American Highway, so that's for people who are a bit geographically um, strained. And for the benefit of the video, if you just move your head to your right slightly, I can actually uh, yeah, that's not... a bit more. Yeah, so from the South America, so right way down the bottom of Argentina, he cycled all the way up through South America, through Central America, and all the way up to the north of Alaska. So that's the Pan American Highway. It's 14,000 miles. Um, so when I, when we spoke about end goals and how you plan stuff, and, you know, scheduling, um, we talked in depth about how important, why it's important to not look all the way at the end goal because you know that's where it's going to be. But there's stuff in between. So instead of going, oh, 14,000 miles, that's impossible. It's, well, how many miles, what's the target for the world record? I think the world record was 117 days, but he wanted to do it in 110. So he set himself a target of 110, giving himself like seven-day fudge factor. Okay, let's break 110 days down into those miles. So how much is it on average a day? Okay, we've got to do X amount on average a day. Right, I want to do make the first two hours um my gauge for the day because that's how what speed we're going to stick at and how many miles we're going to do because the wind was usually the same for that the whole of that day whether it be tailwind headwind or sidewind um so all he done was breaking it down to two hour blocks half hour rest and feed two hour blocks and then you basically turn it into like four spin sessions a day um and that's then that's what the good thing about scheduling is but in terms of the overall picture, that's because you treated it like a military operation. And, I, you know, I totally understand that not everyone has that skill. But in civvy language, that's very much, you know, good project management, uh, good time management, good scheduling. That's basically the same thing. Um, so, yeah, so, and it's the same with, with fat, fat loss and stuff like that. So I've said to people in the past, well, you want to lose, say, 10 kilos in six months. You know, people think, well, 10 kilos is like a lot of weight. Um, but it's not really. But then you break that down six months into weeks and you're like, holy shit, I only need to lose like 0.7 pounds a week. And that's well easy. Straight away, the mindset changes from looking at the end goals. It seems fairly impossible to suddenly, it seems very achievable. And you can do that with so many things. Do you think in terms of we, we focus on the weight loss more specifically, AJ, that is based on a bias or a preconceived idea that oh, it's too good to be true. This, this, I use my, I use my banner as the example, lose between 10 and 30 pounds within 60 days. Do you think because they've had a bad experience of the past that that then dictates, well, 
this must be be it this must be bullshit it's it's it can't physically be possible to achieve that that goal in that short space of time um yeah 100% a lot of it comes down to past experiences most people um that's usually due to like lack of education um either poor coaching previously um or they've just been sold crap so you know there's always an agenda for everybody and everything that's always stolen in service. You know, obviously it's different for every person. Some people are, some people do it for money. Some people do it for the love of what they're doing. Um, and then, well, some people obviously do it for both because I think if you love what you're doing, the, the money will just come anyway um, because you're providing, good, you know, really good value. And that's why, like, I don't go into groups and this and that and promote my services. I, I, I don't need to um, because, People see me for who I am and see like, wow, this guy's an approachable coach. You know, they'll they'll come and message me anyway, which is what they do. So, um, for the people that have, you know, got off that bias from past experiences, um, if people say that to me, for example, um, my natural reaction is like, challenge accepted. Um, and most you know, any other good coach would that want to take that on. Um, so that's why I don't sort of I don't vet what clients I take on now but I'm very and I'm not too picky but I want to work with people who want to work hard set you know big realistic goals but are also prepared to turn into the person they need to be to achieve them goals um you know not people who just want to be told literally absolutely everything what to do that you know coaching is not telling people teaching people it's showing them like how to do it and what what they need to do to achieve their goals, you know what I mean? Rather than uh, being sort of like told you, you need to do this at this time, you need to eat this at this time. That's not teaching them anything because they're not actually learning. They're not doing it themselves. Um, so that's usually where people's bad experiences have come from. Um, you know, there's so many, uh, so much rubbish out there, you know, you herbalize and isogenics and, Juice pluses and all these kind of things where people are, you know, overnight health and wellness coaches. Um, we've pushed so many things down people's throats in the past again as well. And people have suddenly seen pictures of people losing all this weight and again, they want it. But they've got to remember that every single individual is different. And again, not just in weight loss, um, confidence, you know, self-esteem, any, any type of goal. People... I've got to remember that like you are only you can only ever be you and no that other person you're looking at on Instagram like rock solid abs can never be you and you cannot be them well they're not like that 365 days a year so they they, they yeah. um are not doing well themselves or anybody a favor by saying realistic that you can look like this this yeah. and I and I quiz somebody on uh you know the downsides of of being like that and obviously it's, it's yeah social media likes to show that the the good side of it mm, okay yeah. let me probe you on and he was honest uh, Mario Tomic in terms of well these are the downsides of it, of of being at between 6 and 8% body fat I think well no, yeah, yeah. I might, I might have wished for it, but after speaking to you, no, thank you. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And I, I work quite closely with somebody 
um, who's wants to go on stage and um, wants to do a show, just say, say that he's done one. And I've got good friends that have done the exact same thing. They've like absolutely smashed themselves just so they can get on stage and say that they've done it. They've not really got that intention of carrying on doing it. It's just like a personal goal they've had for such a long time. But the sheer, the dedication of discipline, you know, hats off, bravo. Mm-hmm. Um, but it completely takes over your life to the point where, you know, you, you can't go for a pint with your mates on a Friday just to have a catch up and stuff like that. You, cut, you know, because of the calories, you know, you, you're starving yourself with carbs. Like half the guys I've spoke to that have done it have ended up with at least one hospital visit where um, they've collapsed just out of nowhere because they've, you know, they've starved themselves of carbs in that pre like a week before show um same with cover models your photo shoots you know they they, they get so dehydrated and stuff like that because they said they look they look, look vainier um and then you had that you know you had a couple of filters a decent slr camera and bang you know you've got a million followers and a million naive followers that think that you can get like that <laughs> um and, that, and that's the issue with like 99% of the population who sit there and just wish they can be like somebody else on social media when they need to concentrate on being themselves. But then obviously this is my penultimate question to you then, AJ. They're then coming ever much for, ever further away from being the best version of themselves because they can't accept who they are in the here and now. Mm. Yeah, um, and the only person that can the only person that can immediately stop themselves from doing that is is them. So that comes down to um, surround, again just trying to fill your fill your headspace with positivity because the more positive people you're around, you'll soon realise that all those positive people accept who they are and. Um, and and love themselves and you know in, in a positive way. I don't mean that as like the big headed way. They they love who they are and they they want to express themselves. They're happy with who they are. It does take a, a lot to be like that for a lot. You know, for some people to come out of you know a, a shell of low self esteem. And um, but again, it's it's all about your environment. It really it really is. And if you can just take yourself out of a negative environment. You know, just small little things, small little steps. You'll soon find that you'll change the way you see things, like 100% hands out. And my final question, AJ, before we wrap up the episode, is if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? Hmm. That's a good one. Um, Hmm. Uh, I'd, I'd say remember re- take a step back and just remember who you are what what and who you want to become and that if you generally want to be that person be the best version of you, then you need to change into the person to achieve that. That's going to be able to achieve that goal. That would be uh, 
that would be the sentence I would summarize this episode with. So once again, AJ, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. Hey, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've, um, it was great having a chat, and I hope that the, the guys and girls listening you know, can take away some, some value for this. And, uh, you, know, uh, and like, you know, if anybody ever needs any, any more help with any questions, answering stuff like that, you, know, you can always reach out to me likewise, likewise yourself, man. So it's been my absolute pleasure and I have faith that, that they will do. Yeah, awesome, mate. And um, yeah, guys, thanks for having me. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let AJ and I know what you've thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at AJ Roberts Coaching and at James O Roberts 11. And again, you can do the same on Twitter and Facebook. And if you add Any questions, don't hesitate to shoot them over as well. And finally, don't forget to check out his podcast, The Best Version of You. And as always, do check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk and click on the tab resources. But not forgetting, I've also started a new Facebook group, especially for the podcast, which you can find by typing The Mindset Athlete. So make sure to check those links out. They will be in the description. You can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipson.com under the category general. So once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next week for another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast.